what is more masculine than being honest and, and open and like doing tough things like instead of trying to be a masculine man. Case Kenny is an author and a podcaster. His mindset journals, which encourage self-reflection and self-appreciation, became a hit during the pandemic, selling millions of dollars worth of copies. We talk about dating pitfalls, masculinity, and how to overcome limiting beliefs. Case, welcome, man. Wonderful you, to have you. Thanks for having me. Let's start with what yes. we were just talking about, yes. uh, which is the juicy stuff, dating. <laughs> so what is your uh, your particular take on the modern dating market that is perhaps slightly different from what you see that other advice that people are giving? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a balance because like a lot of my content is very hopeful and compassionate and, and patient. And but then there's also a side of me that is very, it's like, it is what it is. Like we're, we're living in a times where dating is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of my following is female and I hear a lot of from the female perspective and it's a lot of gloom and doom. It's a lot of chaos. It's a lot of Can you tell app. me what, what, like, what is the gloom and doom that women are talking about out there? It's a lot of hyperbole. It's a lot of all men are liars. All men are cheaters. No one is ready to settle down. Millennials have ruined uh, dating because we're in the, 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 the digital age and uh, someone better is just a swipe away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hear a lot of that. Um, which I can't deny it. I think there's, there's statistics that certainly support the fact that people are getting married later or not at all, or having kids way later in life. So I think the timeline has been stretched significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, certainly I think dating apps have introduced a whole new dynamic into dating, but I think it's great. I yeah. think, I think we're just, we're just, it's just an evolution of dating. And I think it's fine. I think it's great. I think if you're a person who wants to be in a relationship, you go fishing where the fish are and dating apps are perfect. Yeah. You, you have to know what they come with. That's where like the, the tough guy talk comes from. It's like, you gotta know what you're getting into. Like you gotta prepare yourself for some people who are gonna catfish you, going to lie to you, going to waste your time. It is mm-hmm. what it is. That's part of the process. Um, so I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, hyperbole statements. All men are this, all women are this. Dating yeah. is impossible. Yeah, it's, it's difficult but I think we can carve out a, a standard that gives us hope and we don't get down on ourselves in the process. Got it. So, I mean, I think I, I've been in a relationship and haven't been as active, uh, but yeah, I was somebody who was on the apps frequently. Yeah. And I was very forthcoming about the fact that I was saw myself as unavailable emotionally and for a relationship. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't think that I left, hopefully not too many people, you know, on my behalf contacting you being like, all men are awful. <laughs> but I, I think I'm sort of that example of the extended adolescent timeline. I'm now 35 and I feel like I'm entering a time in my life that where a 25 year old man might've been 20 years ago, which is like, oh, like settling down and thinking about a family for the first time. So I I agree with you and that it's, I don't know it's that all men are awful, but it does seem like uh, there's an extended adolescent period that I think that at least my peers and men have gone through, which they want to get their shit in order. They want to have life experiences. They want to travel and they don't necessarily want to enter into a committed monogamous relationship in a period where that might've been expected in the past. Yeah. And I think it's men and women too. Like the Mm -hmm. statistics I saw was like the average age that a woman got married in 2000 was 25. Mm -hmm. And in 2023, it's uh, now it's 29. So it's, it's like, I think, I think, I'm not an economist, but there's a lot of factors at play here where people are just their life stages are, are stretched out a little bit. It's just we're buying houses later in life. We're finding our careers later in life. Like it's just different times. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think you, like from a male perspective, I think like when I was in my mid 20s, I was definitely unavailable, uh, not as forthcoming with that <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a sign. Yeah. Um, but like I think. You know, I think I've come a long way. I think a lot of men have, we call it just maturity on 35 as well. You know, I used to see a relationship as like a threat to yeah. independence. 
And now I've realized, and I just came from a podcast where we talked for like an hour about independence is like a defining feature of a relationship. It's like the best part of a relationship. Like being in a relationship is designed to amplify all these great things that you did prior and to enhance them to, to bring all these things to life in independent ways there's something called the dependency paradox which basically says that the more dependent not codependent but dependent you are on someone the more empowered you are to be independent mm. because you have that compatibility you know you could try and fail and still have that partnership and, and all those things so like now having evolved as a man like my my thoughts of independence it's like a relationship isn't a threat to that mm. it should enhance it so i look at the health of my relationship through that lens does this person make me feel empowered to be independent and same with her yeah. and like re evolving my thought process there. And I think hopefully more men are coming around. So that, cause I think about, you know, when I was in my twenties, that was like a big piece of friction for me. I was like, I can't be in a relationship because that means I can't do this or do that. Or, you know, it's a threat to my masculinity because that's defined by freedom and, and being mm -hmm. able to prove these things. So I have a tattoo. I mean, I got a tattoo that was like freedom, freedom, freedom. Basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this guy, this that, guy was, that was yeah. so big. Yeah. yeah. And what you're talking about, I mean, you use the word codependent. I'm, I've only recently understood that uh, the paradigm that you're describing where relationships are a threat to your freedom, independence and um, self-actualization. I couldn't have even put words to it because it was so obvious that that is yeah. what a relationship yeah. was to me. And yeah. I didn't have models of relationships that weren't that i would hear people yeah. say the words yeah. that you just said you know this enhances yeah, this, yeah it's, it's like it sounds like fairy dust i where yeah. <laughs> are yeah. those relations sincerely so yeah. like uh, i'm curious what is your experience of that have you developed that in your own life do you see that you're able to help people develop that yeah. i think it's tough dude because I, I had the same recollection too it's like <laughs> Every example said in media, and we're not robots here where it's like, well, the mm -hmm. media made me think it like mm -hmm. that. I think that's a pretty weak mindset, but like we are hit over the head with this idea of settling down. Yeah. Like I, I don't like that phrase. So I used to think about like, oh, settling down means less. It means boring. It means a 30 year mortgage and just kind of like a blah, mm. right? And I, I, I mean, you think about the cliche husband and wife model. It's like this dopey guy who just follows along and does this thing and like, you know, gets to play golf and that's his outlet. That's his independence. Weekend he gets to drink and it's football not, and golf. It yeah. sounds horrible. I mean, if that, if that, like, obviously those are great things, but like th if that is what a relationship looks like, like the example really enforces this idea that a relationship is a threat to your independence. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, that's the model that we see in, in, in everything. Um, so I don't think there is a great, a whole lot of great examples out there of what what I think personally the right relationship looks like when I say independent I'm talking about like you're going off to Europe on your own and you're doing these things it just means you have a unique worldview on life you have mm -hmm. your own hobbies passions career direction and your partner does as well and you maintain that mm -hmm. um yeah because I, I mean I just think you know the example is is the cliche one it's the it's the you're settled down. Yeah. And I just don't, I just don't look that, that phrasing. So I've even, I'm writing a book on it in the, in the future, all about that, that idea that I think a lot of men have just brainwashed themselves into thinking that a relationship is a threat to independence. Mm -hmm. And then you have a lot of women too that. And then they find women that confirm that belief. Yeah, like I yeah, certainly did. <laughs> you obviously you attract yeah. and you're like, well, there you go. Proof Another of that. Example. But then yeah. also on the female side, you have a lot of, or any side really, it's like sometimes people view independence as a sign that a relationship is, is failing. They're like, well, why would he want to do that on his own? Or why would she do that mm. on his own, on their own? Like something is wrong. So I just think a big reset is, is necessary when it comes to the idea of, of a relationship um, and partnership. Like my whole thing with dating is like, I think a lot of us think that it's like a before and after, like you're single before and then a relationship is after it's 1.0 and 2.0. I, I see the, the purpose is the same. Like the purpose of life when you're single is the same as in a relationship. 
certainly comes with new responsibilities and kind of a new outlook, but it's always to get more out of life and your partner is meant to amplify that. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not there to create it for you. They're not there to, you know, the whole idea of coming together and, and half and half and becoming whole. I don't, I don't, I think that's a slippery slope to getting into codependent relationships or rushing in a relationship that isn't yeah. right. So, you know, just big on the idea of establishing what is your North star when you're single and then a relationship is meant to amplify that. Mm -hmm. I, I did the exercise back in the day of, you know, North Star, what is my dream life? What does it look yeah. like? And I've seen the person that I imagined myself with as I feel like I have healed to a degree uh, transform. And so where I find that my codependency came from was when there were feminine traits and feminine experiences that I could not allow myself. And I quote them as feminine, but there were just pieces of myself that I hadn't integrated yeah. that... Uh, would only permit myself to have in a relationship. So for instance, watching a movie, like there was probably years that went by where I couldn't play a video game or watch a movie because I was on my grind, except oh, if I was with a girlfriend or on a date. Yeah. And then I could relax. Like taking uh. time to just chill was uh, the domain that was only for relationships. So I found myself drawn to women that were really feminine and really tender uh. and really soft. Uh, they were often immaturely feminine and their right. emotions could run rampant. Right. And like that made me feel even sturdier and stronger. And yeah. as I have uh, gotten more in touch with my emotions, will take a bath by myself and just luxuriate for a minute. Yeah. Like have taken time away from work. I find that I am looking for both in, I mean, I have a current relationship, but I, the what I've asked of her has evolved. And if I were ever back on the dating market, I think it would be different to, think probably a woman who didn't have that uh, innocent, immature feminine. And yeah. it's funny, like the word woman, yeah. <laughs> like I, I have a deeper understanding of what that is compared to I was interested, I think, in girls, you know, not yeah. obviously not a certain <laughs> yeah. age, but just like <laughs> there was clear. a girliness yeah. to, to their yeah. attitude. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. The, and it's interesting. As, as I've gotten in touch with my feminine, I find that I am less codependent in that in my partner, yeah. which raises my standard and yeah. makes a possibility of what you're describing yeah. as a relationship that is expansive and not contractive yeah. much more possible. Even yeah. in the one that I find myself in, which we are now like rearranging the scaffolding is like, whoa, we, we thought this was going to be one thing where I was like all the masculine energy and you were all the feminine. What if we could each be our own yin yang and what would it look like for us to then be a, in a partnership yeah. at that point? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how you evolve that, right? You think you want something in a partner, but then you realize that that's just kind of reinforcing uh, an immature outlook or mm -hmm. some kind of void that you're, you're looking to fill. I mean, I used to think that same way for me. It's like, I want like, like, yeah, almost like looking back, like vulnerably, this, this sounds a little predatory, but like I wanted someone who like, I was like the the the, the powerful person yeah. and they were there to just, uh, uh, to to, to celebrate that power. Yeah. Like I, I was the guy who was doing these big public facing things and, and you're just, you're just my partner. You're just yeah. like normal every, everyday girl and went through many variations of that to get to where I am now with my partner, which is the opposite of that. Frankly, we're both on that level doing that. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 we curious. called them sidecars, which the idea was you had a motorcycle who was yeah. doing the driving <laughs> yeah. and the gas and yeah. the person, in the sidecar who was yeah. happy to be there. And this was, it wasn't, I understand what yeah, you're saying, it sound there, predatory, yeah. but they were like, that was what they wanted was to attach to yeah. a larger thing. Yeah. And that was so appealing. It bigged up my ego, tremendous amount yeah, of validation, 
But I realized like going through life with a sidecar is a challenge. It's nice to have someone who has their own gas tank, who has their own direction, yeah. <laughs> who has like their own things that they have going on. Yeah. Strong metaphors. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, and it's weird. I don't know if that's like, I feel like that's a common masculine thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just a innate thing or we're borrowing some definition of masculinity. Who knows? I think we get really tripped up on, you know, masculine and feminine and like these these roles that we're, we're looking to play. Um, you know, I think about that a, a fair amount and like the word masculine, like what is, what does masculine mean? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it means all kinds of things that I'm, I'm pro. Like, I think, I think it's great when a man is a man and, you know, it fills these certain roles that, that are good and they can lead with power and do these kinds of things. But I really, I've come to really think about like masculinity through the lens of maturity. Like mm -hmm. a, ma a masculine man is a mature man and things that come from maturity are masculine, mm. namely doing difficult things, having difficult conversations, you know, being willing to put yourself in those vulnerable circumstances. What is more masculine than that? Mm -hmm. You know, what is more masculine than, than being honest and, and open and like doing tough, tough things. Like instead of trying to, to be a masculine man, I think that's what gets us in trouble. It's like, I just want to be a mature man. I want to be a man. Yeah. For sure. It's awesome being a man. It's the greatest thing in the world, but trying to, to fill some role that, has been defined for us or that we're looking into our father and all kinds of messed up things that could be giving us this noise and chirping at us. It's like, I just want to be mature and, yeah. and not mature in the sense of like no, boring mature, and like in bed by nine, but like me. mature, you do the difficult things and that is what makes you masculine. Yeah. That's kind of evolved my, my thinking. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I think uh, there's a lot of talk of, you know, femininity, masculinity, yeah. toxicity in each of those. And I, the, the dimension that I have found myself most interested in lately is maturity. Yeah. And I've seen how my, both internally, my relationship to masculinity has been immature in many ways. It has yep. been, um, and because it's so subtle, there is a way to be a community leader that is totally ego-based, that is totally about big, you know, be increasing the validation that you yep. receive. And there's a way to do such similar acts that is comes from a place of, I already have everything that I need inside of me. I do this to share. And they yep. can look very similar, but I think over the long term. The, the places that they take you, your your own experience of life become very, very different. And I see a lot of people, myself included, who have aped tra traditional mature masculinity without having the grounding of like the I'm okayness yeah. that drives it. Yeah. And I think, you know, same yeah. thing on the flip side for femininity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think what you just described on the, on the negative side is it's just performative. It's performative <laughs> masculinity where we haven't really checked ourselves of, what is, what is our North star? What are like, what is our objective? Like I talked to a lot of people, men and women, I'm like, like, what do you want in life? Like, what is your goal in life? And usually the answer is I want to be happy or maybe they're in their grind era and they want to be successful. Like lots of like nice, vague adjectives. And I, I think a lot of times that gets us in trouble because then it becomes, well, what does a successful man look like? Or what does a happy man look like? And then we go back to these roots of like, well, you know, a happy man is, is a man who can conquer and, and do these things or a successful man is, is very ego led. Mm -hmm. Like, I've completely changed my North star such that now, like if my question is like, what do I want in life? It's just, I want to be proud of myself. Mm -hmm. and I know that sounds cliche and somewhat boring, but when I talk about pride and the good pride, not the ego pride, not the, the, the Ryan holiday negative pride, I'm talking about pride that comes from making promises and keeping promises mm -hmm. from having a North star of how I, how I want to feel, not how I want to look like yeah. how my life feels to me, not how it looks to other people. And for me, that comes from a sense of pride. It comes from, if I see something that needs to be done, I, I need to do it because it comes from that place, not that place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just, you know, it's been a different way of how I look at my life. Like I'm looking at my life, not 
through the, the lens of should or performing or some kind of role. Like nothing is cringier to me than performing for how something should be. Like I, I always like, like I like going out, like I love dance music, I love going to clubs, but I always thought it was really cheesy. Like, all right, you're a guy at a club, it's your job now to go around and hit on girls. I just thought it was the most performative, weird thing in the world. It's like, no, I'm just here to have a good time. If we chat up someone, that's great. If not, whatever. But I always thought it was so weird to like, do the like, oh, you know, you got to do that because in this space, you're this and there's this and you go and do it. Mm. And I think that idea has just been extrapolated so much in life totally. that it's, yeah, it was always weird to me. When I went out after the initial success of Charisma on Command, people would recognize me, especially men in bars. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and that performative expectation went up so much yeah. that guys would come up to me they'd be like is he gonna do it swear to god what is he gonna do and and i could one i could feel them saying it whispering it. to their friends but some of them would approach me yeah. and it made i i hated going out for that portion yeah. of time and i actually stopped <laughs> and i was just like i, I don't want to do this anymore uh because the thing that could be and i still it still had an element of like i i'm you know i'm showing off a little for my friends and but there was like no i'm here for, i enjoy this became a I feel like I'm being watched. I feel like I'm being witnessed. I feel like I'm being uh, weighed and judged yeah. in a way that makes this whole experience unfun. Yeah, and I can, <laughs> that, that was the extreme of it, but I think yeah. that exists for a lot of people when they go out is uh, not, is this fun, but am I performing yeah. the role of attractive man <sighs> well here? Yeah, I have, a, I have a friend who's a great guy. He's a really introspective guy, but yeah. that is him to a T and he struggles with it so hard. He's like, all right, he like scorecards himself every night he goes out. He's like, if he sees, he sees an attractive woman, he has to talk to them. He has to get their number. It is an outcome based night. And if he doesn't, he is like depressed afterwards. Mm -hmm. He is so in his head about it. And even if he's like out with like four of his friends and we're like, why is that? Like, let's just have a good time. But he's become obsessed with the outcome and what is expected of him that he's come to expect of himself. And he just tears himself apart with it. Mm -hmm. It's really self-destructive. So what practices, and I know you have a couple, um, have brought you towards away from that image focused that is so, I think, easy in the age of Instagram. And I find myself, yeah, uh, Instagram is the easy thing to point to, but focus more on how things look and appear than how things yeah. feel on the inside. How do you, how have you called yourself back to how things feel? Yeah. So I think, I think journaling for one mm -hmm. has, has been my, has changed my life for one. And I think is a great first step to, you know, introspection. Like I think a lot of men in particular are averse from going from nothing to therapy, for mm -hmm. instance. It's a big step. It's a lot of aversion there. I think going straight into journaling is, is great. What is I, your protocol that you've done or protocol might not be the right word? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's guided journaling. It's a mix mm -hmm. of prompted and unprompted journaling. I mean, really for me, I, I always struck, I always wanted to be a journaler because like, oh, everyone does their ice bath and they journal. Mm -hmm. Like it's great. Like I got to do this stuff. And then I would go out and buy a bunch of journals and I either found that they, they fit one of two formats. They were either, they either stressed me out more than it should. Journaling shouldn't stress you out. And it was one of those journals where I was like, all right, in the morning, you're going to write down three goals at night. You're going to come back and keep yourself accountable. We're going to, we're going to do this thing. And I was like, that is stressing me out. Mm -hmm. And then there was the other form of journaling, which is more like stream of consciousness. Like, what's up? How are you feeling? I'm a little too ADD for that. So mm -hmm. that didn't work right. So I, I was like, it's like, yeah, oh, this doesn't really work for me. So I created my own, which is, you know, just a balanced form of prompted and unprompted. I think journaling is only as good as the questions because eventually if you just do journaling where it's like one thing you're grateful for, how do you feel today? Check in. You're going to 
you're going to either find yourself saying the same thing or you're going to find yourself saying the things that you think you should say. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot of growth there. So I think the right journaling is a as a combination of that, which is check-in, but then also, you know, very specific questioning that comes from the power of someone, hopefully, who's good at coming up with questions, which I think I'm fairly good at. Um, so that that's always been my thing. Pressure-free, 10 minutes a day journaling that is a mix of like, where are we at? Where's our head? Past, present, future. We're like, where, where are we focused? And let's break that down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot, I, for me, I think like a big purpose of journaling is to break us free of comparison. Cause I think a lot of our anxiety and performative inclinations come from that. I saw a stat that's like 10% of our daily thoughts are thoughts derived from comparison. Like we're comparing ourselves 10% of the time, which is a lot. I mean, seems some, like low. I think it's, yeah. I think we have How do you like, measure thoughts though. It's the, all yeah, of these studies are so scientists funny. try to, I yeah, think they yeah. said like we have like 10,000 thoughts a day or whatever, but mm-hmm. either way, a thousand comparison thoughts a day, 2000 comparison thoughts a day. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. We're doing it a lot. And I think journaling is a great way to try to put a, a gap between that mm-hmm. um, to help us realize that we're doing it or we're, we're copying and pasting all these things. But, you know, I mean, I think journaling is just a great way, mind body connection into introspection. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to be walking around and be like, oh, I feel anxious. I wonder why. Oh, well, journaling forces you to sit down and actually write it. There's mm-hmm. A lot of studies around mind and body and connection and actually writing things down. Don't know, you know, if it has that big of an impact, but something about being intentional in that yeah. moment. I mean, that is mindfulness. It's mind, body in the same place, writing down. Um, and then you just, I call it like a journaler's mentality. Like the more you journal, whether it's just 10 minutes, five minutes a day, you start to develop that, that idea of mindfulness, which is why, which is radical honesty which is all these things that you could take it out into life, not just when you're journaling. Like I think if you're only journaling in times of crisis or overwhelm, we're we're not really doing it right. It's like, it's the the way that you look at life in a, in a challenging way um, that I think is really the, the rewarding part of journaling. Mm -hmm. And you do this in the morning. I, Uh, I do it anytime. Like, I mean, I think that, you know, I think habit formation is important and great. And if mornings work for you, that's fantastic. But uh, any, any time of day was really what I wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. I journaled, I, I did, um, you might be familiar. So I did unprompted journaling for a while and I found that, uh, there's so many different mindfulness techniques for meditation. Yeah. Like yeah. I've, I've gotten, I don't even know if it counts as mindfulness, but psychedelics. And what I, some of the way that I conceive of it is that there are some that lean more towards, um, your conscious awareness and some that lean more towards your unconscious yeah. awareness. And I've lately have tended towards the unconscious awareness, which is that free writing journal, which is, which is no prompt as yeah. quick as you can yeah. get it out. And sometimes you surprise yourself with what comes on yeah. the page versus I've done other ones that are, can be helpful too, which is like, what was I thinking about? What was causing that anxiety? And I have found that I am likely to pair that to, I'm anxious because I have an interview coming up or it's likely yeah. to be proximal, you know, 48 yeah. hours ago or 48 hours in the future. Um, one of the things that I've seen through psychedelics therapy, et cetera, is my experience of myself is that the iceberg beneath the water of when I'm stressed about this interview is like, oh no, I've been seeking validation since I was a little boy from some core experiences. And that puts me in an emotional mood that makes me especially receptive to certain types of stress today. So that I'm thinking that it's this particular interview or this particular thing that I have to do. Um, but what has helped me tremendously, and this is not to negate journaling at all, is the uh, deeper reflection into the nature of my own subconscious. Yeah, yeah. And what what was lurking there that is making me a match for certain types of stress and experiences yeah. and all those kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, I 
again, I'm a regular guy. I'm not a licensed therapist yeah. or anything like that. So like I approached <laughs> journaling through my lens of being a regular guy who for a long time was very averse to, to all these things we're talking about. I joke now that I share my feelings for a living. Like I've stepped into that space. I've like forced myself to, to do that. Is, that. is that embarrassing or was that, was there a moment, <laughs> a large like resistance to that? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, my original branding, when I started doing everything, I was like, I'm a dude, bro guy. I am a freaking dude. I like Chipotle house music and working out. <laughs> yeah. I worked in advertising technology sales, which is very aggressive. I was, started as an account executive, left as a vice president. It's all about how much you could earn, what Rolex you could buy, like the whole thing. So I got very much identified by masculine traits, success traits, hustle culture, doing more, doing all these things. So pretty much the opposite of that would be sharing your feelings for a living. So that was a big 180 for me. Yeah. Um, but very, very rewarding. But, you know, I, there's a lot of aversion to it personally and with like people in my life, you know. Can I, you talk some, I'm curious what some of the specific things that uh, the beliefs or the people that you imagined what they might think were that that helped you back a little bit from that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I used, I used to like delude myself like because I started the podcast in 2018 and at the same time I was working this job, I side hustled it for a while. And when people would bring it up, I would downplay it. I would say, oh, that's not important to me. I don't really mm. care. So I would literally lie to other people and myself in the process, even though deep down I was like, no, I, I love what I do. It's my form of therapy. It's helping other people. But I would downplay it because I didn't, I didn't want to face that, that reality of being a sensitive guy or whatever, yeah. whatever label. So I was, I was very afraid of that because I thought it would, it would dilute my stock as a sales guy, as a hustle guy. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't, I can't really think of a moment where I just like got over it. I, I think I, I think quitting my job for one, two years ago to do this was like the moment where like I'm all in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I, you know, I think, you know, I hate to be validated by success, but like all like, you know, it's a top podcast and like by having, you know, selling all these things and doing all this, it kind of validated that yeah, and yeah. like helped me merge those worlds totally. of success and sensitivity together for sure. I've, I feel, um, a similar thing. And I think what's a tough place to be is when you've found quote unquote success and safety and acceptance in a group of people that have a certain belief you're migrating to this new place before you have like a super successful podcast or a whole new community that is supportive of you being more sensitive. There is often in this in-between space of uh, incredible discomfort. I find myself, my life is, you know, in many ways quite comfortable, but uh, there are people in my audience, understandably, that want the podcast used to be more uh, news focused and very intellectual. They want more of the charisma on command uh, analytical breaking stuff down. And where I find myself is wanting to move in a new space of, I guess it's touchy feeling emotions. Yeah. Uh, what is occurring inside of me? I've cried on the podcast. I've talked to, and this is where I find the power in my life. It's where I feel most excited to help other people. But there is this, this in between yeah. period of like, no, come back. You know, yeah. the people yeah. from your old community want you back. And I remember it back with charisma on command when I left my consulting job to go to charisma on command. That one was easier, <laughs> but there was this, you're screwing yeah. it all up. You're, you're blowing the success that you've already yeah. had, you know, and, and what are you going to offer? Nothing. Yeah. I um, remember my mom and, and she's the huge supporter of me, but and she didn't mean yeah. it, but she made a comment when I quit she was like, Oh, you're just throwing that all yeah. away. And I was like, Oh, the, the wording there just killed me. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah. And she backtracked it. She's like, I don't mean throwing it away. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, moving. And she's the whole thing. But I was yeah. like, man, it really threw me into a, a, a tailspin of like, man, maybe I am throwing this away. Mm. Like, like, and still like even two years into, into doing this as my, as my thing. And I found, you know, a lot of security in it. I've been very fortunate. I still have that, have that idea of like, 
you know, I don't think I could ever go back. Like, I don't think I could ever go back. I don't think I would ever be welcome back. So, like, I don't, I, I can't go back. Like, and not that I wanted to like have the ability to go back, but to think about the 12 years I invested in, in that career is like poof gone is thrown away in a sense was like very jarring. Cause I remember quitting my job. I was like, yeah, it's okay. Let's, let's, let's take, give it the old college try. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go back. Cause I've approved myself in sales and yeah. I, I've got a good Rolodex there and I could do it. And now it's like, no, nah, I can't go back. Like been out of the game for too long. You, you you're not effective anymore. So like, yeah. this is it. Like we're committed. Like that, that still is a, you know, it's kind of an unsettling thought. I've definitely felt that. And there's also a moment where like your brain is almost trying to uh, give you enough of a comfort to, to make that leap. But there was, I'm sure you experienced it with me. It's like, could I technically go back to the old way of doing things and succeed for the world? Yes. Could I feel satisfied doing the same types of things that I used to do? No. So it's like, it actually, my, my inability to go back started inside of me before it was like, no, I could still get results in the ways that I used to. Yeah. But, and I'm feeling that now I'm part of me like, uh, is, is called towards the easier levers, buttons of success that I have to push, make a video for charisma on command, do this other thing versus yeah. this podcast is one, one hundredth or one, one thousandth of the size. Yeah. Uh, and I could go back from a material sense, but something inside of me is like, not really. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I couldn't do it in a way, I would have to transform what that meant. Good yeah. news is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm own the company. So I can <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah, transform <laughs> But I think that's powerful. It's like, I think a lot of people haven't found that thing that prevents them from going back. I think a yeah, lot of people yeah. are like, you know, we're not literally talking going back on a timeline. We're talking mm-hmm. about going going to something that's easier, that's more expected, that is proven. But X and yeah, old job and all even yeah. the easiest example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people can spend their whole life trying to find that that like pivot point where you're making like a new kind of inner life promise to yourself where you mm-hmm. you won't go back or you won't go left or you won't go down a level from up from which you've evolved mm-hmm. past. So I think it's you know even though it can be you know a lot of uh, you know, scary thoughts and insecurity. Like I think having found that point is yeah, invaluable. And, you know, good thing. I mean, the internet really democratizes your ability to to do things that you're passionate about. I mean, my title is sharing my feelings for a living. What does that even freaking mean? Yeah. Like there's a million different ways to, to do that. And, you know, I found it and that's a miracle and grateful. Yeah. The, the pivot point sounds like you know, what it is, is your standards have shifted. I don't, I don't, they don't necessarily have to have raised cause I don't know better or worse, but they've changed mm-hmm. to where there is now a type of thing that you can no longer abide by or accept or anything yeah. like that. Um, you said that people spend time looking for that. I assume that one of the ways that, cause I've been in periods where it's like, I know I want to raise my standards, but they're not, you know, it's like, I, I know I want to demand more in a relationship. I know I want to demand more out of myself when it comes to how I show up for work. Uh, I'm, it occurs to me that where one of the first ways that I found leverage over that was through journaling processes, which was uh, at the time it was Tony Robbins, but it was, he was really good at like, why write all of the things that are painful about your current situation. And I did that exercise and write, okay, write all the things that would be pleasurable about this new situation. And in like really, and what, and then he did, where would you be in 10 years if you don't change? And so that process of imagining and really getting clear on what is what is so painful about the current way that I have of doing things, how does that compound over time yeah. over the next 10 yeah. years? And then like, what would that look like if I did make a change? That I remember there was a period in time where our business was stuck at around like making 100K a year. That was where the business yeah. was. 
I did this process, uncovered that I had a belief from living in New York City, which was demanding more than $100,000 a year will make you miserable. Because all of the examples that I had of this were these finance bros that more, 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 they were never happy. And at some point I read a study that said, happiness doesn't increase after $70,000 a year. (laughs) So inside my own system was this, if you ever try to make more than that, you will be unhappy. And sort of uncovering that belief, rewriting it to be, of course there's a way to pursue you know larger sums of money that is miserable but yeah. like you can do that in a different way it was within a month or two that the business tripled it was wow. insane wow. yeah what what actions did it affect for you like what did it unlock it, i just felt so much more comfortable succeeding big yeah. it was like yeah. it was you know i was picking like uh people to cover on the youtube channel what sort of topics will i cover yeah. and i didn't know it it wasn't like picking the most interesting i was just picking smaller ones i was and i went oh i could why not do way more views yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. like i know how to do that <laughs> yeah but I, that question was forbidden yeah. at that point in time and now I'm, I'm trying to find uh i feel like i'm in a transition phase where it is uh in the past, there was still a degree of validation in why do I want more money? It didn't make me miserable, but it was like I was still trying to measure my life out in measurable metrics of yeah. success. Yeah. And I'm coming back to the question, which sort of started my whole career, is what would you do if you had $100 million? What would you do if you never needed to prove anything to mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. ever again for the rest of your life? And it's yeah that that is what started charisma on command i lost it for a period of time and find myself returning to yeah. those expansive sorts of questions huh. that's big yeah it's the i mean contrast like the exercise that that tony mm-hmm. robbins had you do i mean like giving yourself that contrast mm-hmm. i'm very motivated by the idea of regret like that's the mm-hmm. one thing that scares me because regret you can't change regret yeah. is looking back connecting the dots looking back and realizing that you went down a path that you shouldn't have because you made the wrong decision or didn't question it, whatever it may be. I also think about like limiting beliefs, like what you described was a limiting belief of, of some kind that was came from some subconscious belief. Like, I think a lot of limiting beliefs, obviously they come from experiences. Like something gave you this idea. I think the, the key to overcoming a limiting belief is like forgiving yourself. Like self forgiveness is this foo foo topic. Like, Oh, I got to forgive myself. But like practically speaking, like that is what it takes to break through uh, a limiting belief is forgiving yourself for whatever shame or guilt happened in the past that you're carrying with you that says I'm you know incapable of, of making this amount or this amount will mean this or I'm incapable of love because I flopped that relationship whatever it is like it's giving yourself that second chance to prove it wrong but I think a lot of men in particular don't get to that point where they're willing to even have that internal conversation um do you think the, that men are different than women in that regard I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think the the cliche is true as Mm -hmm. far as a lot of emotional vulnerability goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think, I think it's a cliche for a reason. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, there's truth in it. Um, I mean, I think it's the same as, you know, women have certain pressure around expectations around, you know, partnership and, and men have the same around having a plan having a career path, sticking to the plan. Mm -hmm. I think that that can really lead you down the wrong path, which leads you to regret one of the things I love doing, which is kind of borrowed from habit formation circles is the idea of I'm the kind of person who like the, the journal prompt for that. I really like that for a couple of reasons. Like as an author, I think a lot about words, the words we use to describe ourselves. Yeah. A couple of minutes ago, I talked about like saying, I want to be happy or I want to be successful. These like grandiose, but vague adjectives. And I think there's something about being human where we say, I want to be happy. 
And then when we're not happy, we devolve. And if we're not happy for a period of time, we're like, well, I'm not a happy person or I'm a loser or I'm a failure. Like we start to prescribe these, these conclusions based on uh, a current state versus this, this thing that we've set for ourselves. I want to be happy. So for me, I, I've totally pivoted that to the idea of being proud of myself. But the, the journal prompt, I'm the kind of person who, I really like that because it's, okay, you say you want to be happy. Well, let's break that down into actions. Mm-hmm. What, what would make you a happy person or successful? That's the easier example. Like instead of saying, I want to be successful, say, you know, I'm the kind of person who, and then list all your business metrics or your sales metrics or whatever it is. I'm the kind of person who volunteers to go first, yeah. first one in, last one out, whatever cliche there. I really like that as far as now we're focused on actions. We're not focused on belief systems. We're not focused on assumptions. We're focused on things we can control. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, like mindfulness, self-awareness on its own is like, what are we doing here? It's like, what is it? You can be aware of something. That's great. Yeah, but if yeah. you're not equalizing it with action, you're not going to move the needle. Also an exercise, like I'm the kind of person who I found to be really powerful as far mm-hmm. as giving myself a roadmap of some kind of action that I could follow. And it's also giving ourselves credit for the things we are doing. Like things take time. I mean, you, you worked on charisma on command for a while, obviously before it got yeah. to its, its, its peak point. And same for me, like I've been grinding for years and like, I think these things take time and the key to moving forward while also challenging yourself is to be proud of yourself, be proud of the things that you're putting in instead of this just hamster turnstile of, not doing enough guilt and shame and all these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, something as simple as I'm the kind of person who I think can really give you that clarity. Yeah. The, uh, earlier I mentioned the, the breaking down of the belief, what I've noticed lately, I used to believe, and I'm starting to see that this is seems to be a natural evolution as you develop depth in any arena of human life is that there is a path, which is to say, let's start with limiting beliefs and then we'll go to actions and then we'll do this, you know, or let's start with actions and that will shift our belief. And what I'm finding in my own life is that one is, one is not better than the other, but developing the discernment with different areas of my life. There are some areas in my life where it's like, fuck the belief, do the thing. You know, get up and go to the gym. Don't worry about your limiting beliefs. That's the tough guy talk. Yeah. 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 There are other areas of my life where it's like, no, do, do some conscious work on the belief. Cause yeah. like I was doing the actions in charisma on command, but couldn't break <clears throat> through that, that belief. So the belief was where it needed to happen. Yeah. There's other areas in my life where I'm doing psychedelics, going back to childhood experiences. And yeah. like, that's, that's such a, it's, it's beyond level of belief. It's like literally the way my entire system is structured. And so all of these, what I'm just saying for people who are listening are very effective tools. What I've found is that depending on who you are, what's going on in your life and why you are the way you are, certain ones will be far more successful in different areas of your yeah. life. So just, it's kind of like a shotgun approach sometimes. Literally, Try just doing it. Yeah. yeah. Try just sucking it up and doing it for a period of time. See how that works. Yeah. Sometimes that's plenty. Yeah. Other times you want to do journaling on it. Other times yeah. you might want to go to therapy to start to unwind some of the really deep patterns that does this stuff. Um, and what I feel like I had the good fortune to do in my 20s was I like, I went really hard at the just shut up and do it approach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're afraid, go talk to her. Yeah. You're worried about the business, yeah. go do it. Yeah. You're scared of the sales call, show up anyway. Yeah. Um, and what remained in my life when I turned 30 was like the touchy-feely stuff. Yeah. And now I find at 35, okay, I've done that for a while. Let's find an integration back because I needed to a period of time. I was like, I really, really laid off the action first stuff. And yeah. I feel like now I can bring that back in in an appropriate dosage whereas yeah. before it was just like the only tool that i yeah, had man. in I my mean, arsenal i think 35 finding that balance is mm-hmm. is not bad i think there's a lot of people who spend forever trying to find a balance yeah and i'm sure i'm one of those people that's <laughs> what it is i mean it's, it's balance is all yeah. it is i did an episode the other day on 
there's this uh, researcher named uh, Dr. John Gottman. He does a lot. I of, know. He, yeah. he does a lot of I research. Know him. I know. Of oh, him. You know. You know John. I, uh, I know the book. Kidding. I know the book. read his stuff. Oh, Johnny. Uh, yeah, he does a lot of research around like communication styles and relationship. He has something he calls the the magic ratio, five to one mm-hmm. ratio in a relationship, which is like the blatantly obvious, which is that. Um, you know, you need a mix, a balance of positive and negative interactions in a relationship. And he says it's five to one, five positive interactions with a partner to every negative one, which could be, you know, five statements of praise or admiration or acknowledgement versus a difficult conversation. That is what he's found. And they studied all these couples where they basically sat them in a room and said, okay, work out this problem. And then they observed them and how they did it. And then they would follow up 10 years later and they were able to predict within 90% um, which relationships would work and which wouldn't given the, the ratio of positive to negative within that interaction. That was this whole thing. Uh, balance. And I think I, I'm not talking about relationships right now, but I think about the same in our, in ourselves, the way that we treat ourselves and the, the way that we have, I mean, literally just talking about empowered self-talk, which is like the furthest thing from how I used, like, I'm a man, what do I need to look myself in the mirror and tell, tell me that I'm great. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if, if we have that, that five to one and the other way, it's all negative self-talk. It's all just continued replays of low light reels, reminders of failure, reminders of missteps and inability to wipe the slate clean. Like we will always just continue to repeat these things. We will always be inclined to stumble down one path continually, whether it's Mm -hmm. action or feelings or not in between. So like, I mean, I think the biggest thing to your point that I've realized is the need for, for, for balance, Mm -hmm. whether it's a five to one ratio or not. But I think with the way that we treat ourselves, uh, is everything. I mean, yeah. it, it, it dictates everything truly. Yeah. I, and I, I wish I could not wish I, the way that I've done it, I found myself as a pendulum that is like, I've been the type that swings hard, yeah. you know, and I, and yeah. I clear that level of balance on one side and then I over clear it <laughs> yeah. in a corrective yeah. style. Yeah. So I think, um, having that balance occur in tighter time spans than like years like this, years like yeah. this is, uh, perhaps the next, the next uh, phase of my evolution. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, it's a willingness to pivot. It's a willingness to be like, this is working. This isn't working. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the whole thing with everything in life and dating in particular too, is like, where do we draw the line between reality and potential? Like where we are today with what's working today, what's not working today. And like where we want it to go. Like, where do we draw that line? Like, where do we say, this is the barometer for this is enough, or I'm going to keep trying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it's different for every person, but I think having the the intuition and the introspection to say, I'm at least open to being wrong or right to try these different things, I think is everything. I think men in particular is very bullheaded and stubborn. I think stubbornness is a good quality, but I think, you know, for me, I've definitely like beat down the same path for way too long in some instances. I think, mm-hmm. just be like, hey, I was wrong. Let's try a new path. Let's be willing. Let's be willing to be wrong. Um, are you talking about like inside of dating uh, everything everything whether it's career or like you know what you think will make you happy or like the the validation that you're looking for or the example that you're looking to i mean i was single when i was like 29 to like 33 ish and i always like look to the example of other guys of like what what is a happy uh single guy in his 30s look like mm-hmm. i'm like oh it's you know he's going to the club he's doing bottles he's got a roster he's doing these things like that i need to be that guy because that that guy looks happy and I need to be that guy. Yeah. I pursued that for a while until I ultimately realized it, it wasn't right for me. But I think there's something about just being blind. Well, that guy's doing it and he looks happy. So I clearly, I just need to get to that level. Like I need to, I need to emulate. Um, I think being, wow. being willing to be like this, 
he can do it, but I don't, I don't need to emulate that. I think it goes mm-hmm. back to comparison as well. Like we're just not, I don't want to say weak minded, but like, we're always looking to examples of other people to give us our cardinal direction, which I yeah. think, you know, is a mistake. I've uh, with that guy, you know, the guy that I don't know if you'd have someone in mind or just that archetypal person doing that thing. It's, it all, it also speaks to which I think maybe you had, or I have in myself is like an inability to actually assess what real happiness looks like. And as I've gotten older, like, again, I might've thought the same thing and did think the same thing. Oh, like he's got all these options and he's laughing and he's doing this and he's, you know, got different numbers for different days. And what I couldn't detect in that was the hamster wheel that that guy was on. It wasn't a work hamster wheel. It was a validation hamster wheel of like, got to go here, got to get this date, got to do this thing. And uh, I don't know if happiness is the right word, but I've started to, to see that the, some of the people that are the happiest or the types that I most aspire to be like in the world, like they're not very visible. They're not super active on Instagram. They are not at the club in the center prime primo position where you could ogle them. Like they have what they need and they are not, they do not need to demonstrate it in that sort of way. And so there's um, a peaceful quality and ease that I have found that, uh, yeah, I was confused. I think in a similar way of like, Oh, that's the guy. And then I had, a fortune, you know, I, I, my life afforded me money, uh, got to go to those cool events, got to date around and felt like happy for a little bit. And then I realized it is, um, it's a hamster wheel. Yeah. You know, it's, what, what is your definition of success? I'm curious. Um, well, I don't, it's honestly not a word that I use all yeah. that often these days. Uh, I get like the thing, like the thing that I'm oriented towards that perhaps would be my own personal definition of success. Ah, like inner peace is fucking huge. Yeah. It's just, I've come to understand the depth to which my inner experience, cause I've been, I mean, you've, I've lived in a really nice place. My friends are here. I've had shitty days here yeah. and it's just like, oh my God, you, you have lined up the world to a T to make your life easy and perfect and fluid and have still been miserable. And then on the flip side, I think back to times in my life where I was sleeping on the ground as we started our business and, you know, no girls wanted to hang out with me or whatever. (laughs) And it was like, and there were times of just joy in that. So realizing that, uh, one, it is the depth to which it is, I'm, I'm not shunning the external world entirely, but really reorienting towards my own inner experience of the world and wanting that experience to be one of primarily peace, ease. And from that, I think there's a different kind of joy, which is not as excitable, exuberant and high stimulation as my old life, but is like a grounded connectedness. Uh, That's, that's where I want to spend more of my time. I resonate with that big time. Yeah. I mean, my North star and everything, success, happiness, whatever has just been like the, the goal is is like freedom from expectation that is not my own. Mm. Like that's that's been the biggest thing for me because I think we're all, you know, in a sense we're playing we're playing catch up like we're, you know, we're trying to live a life that looks good and that, you know, that's fine. I'm, I'm never one to be like, yeah, forget the outer world. It's all about just what's going on in here. There's a mm-hmm. balance there, of course, but I think freedom from expectation that isn't yours is like to me like that is everything because then that means I'm in alignment with all the things we're talking about, being proud of myself, holding myself accountable. Yeah. Um like that's, that's been big. That's one. I think it's so clear. Like there was, a, I wrote an article way back in the day, like fuck just being yourself. This is the worst advice anyone <laughs> has ever given. You have to choose and actively. And I come back to, you know, freedom from expectation is it is being yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. deeply feeling yeah, what ultimately, that means. 100%. So I, I look back to like, you know, my early dating. Uh, so much of it for six to 18 months is wearing a mask and is, you know, I've been with 
<laughs> we laugh about it now, but I'm shaking my fist. <laughs> it's like, sh- my girlfriend did not reveal her needs yeah. early on. Yeah. That was her strategy. Yeah. And to get with me, you needed to have no needs. Like, I, like because I was very clear, uh, I'm yeah. not going to take them into account. I'm not going to do this. And I'm looking for someone that's cool with that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I found someone. Not true. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that pattern of I'm going to form an attachment that is not based on a sustainable alignment of the types of ways that we meet each other's needs without compromise or yes. effort. It's just easy. It's like, oh, you like three times a day calls? I like three times a day calls. Like we can meet yeah. each other there. Uh, leads to a lot of drama in relationships because we are prizing the attachment above the alignment. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to unravel that, fix that inside of this relationship. But to those of you who are searching, I, what I do wish I could do have done in the dating phase was I think I showed up owning some, but not all of my needs, but also to demand of the other person be like, look, if you're not going to show up and let me know what you need, if you say nothing, that's a red uh, flag. Uh, that's a red flag. Th- that's, that's, <laughs> that's the trick. That's why like I did an episode called the beginning of a relationship is not real mm-hmm. because the first couple of months of a relationship are not real. Like, like they're un- cool with everything like, and it's yeah, <laughs> everyone is hiding something yep. while trying to be chill or yeah. trying to be cool, which it's like is good because it'd be kind of weird if someone all of a sudden just dumped everything on you very mm-hmm. quickly. We would be startled by that. So I don't I don't know what's right or what's wrong. I just know that it's likely not very real. And it's like we can't it's it's tough to make assumptions about potential based on something that's that's not real. Mm-hmm. What we need is I think we prescribe the word conflict to it. Conflict is is the ultimate lens to to judge if, you know, we're going to have some legs to something because that really shows your true colors. But I think mm-hmm. far too often, and I talk to a lot of women, you know, we're playing different games early on. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be the person who cares less. There's a lot of quotes around whoever cares less wins, which I, I personally don't agree with. I think that's the like most performative way to give away your power. That's basically you, you saying, no, I'm just not, I'm not going to care until they care. I'm not going to care. I'm not going to show my true colors until they show their true colors. And then I will. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I think that's so backwards, but you know, in, in conflict with that, you're opening yourself up to be hurt. If you're like, I will love first, be honest first, state my standards first. You're hundred mm-hmm. percent opening yourself up to rejection first, yeah. which I think could be debilitating, but you know, it's, it's, you know, back to the first question about dating in this day and age. It's like, yeah, no wonder it's difficult because we're all, we're all, trying to feel each other out. We're all bringing our past biases with us. We're all trying to play chill and cool, wait for them to make the first move, wait for them to show intention that you get a couple months in. And it's like, what are, what are we doing here? What have yeah. we been doing here? Yeah. You mentioned love first and made me think that uh, something that I am, again, I'm, I'm in process. I'm not certain, but I believe that a misunderstanding that I had about love was that it implied closeness. And that when you have to be close with someone, a partner of any kind, um, their peccadilloes can create resentments and all these different issues. But if love demands that you are close and what I've, I think that, you know, I look back to my childhood, codependency, all that kind of stuff, uh, in learning to prize acceptance above closeness, what that creates is the closeness can vary, which is to say, I see who you are. I accept who you are. I want you to find happiness in and of yourself. I also love myself, which means that we might need to be this far away. We might need to see each other once a month or once a this or never, or, you know, have X, like have the, have the distance of the relationship be a dependent variable on the independent variable of like, I accept you. I see you, I accept you. And I want you to pursue your path. 
versus what I think we do is we are going to be this close and I do not want you to pursue yeah. your path. And we yeah. are now going to fight, bicker, have all these tactical things so that I can rip you off the path that you are on so that I can get the closeness that I need yeah. in this relationship. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, it's like, where did that definition of closeness come from in the first place? Like, mm -hmm. is it one that it's probably likely one borrowed or one that you're trying to totally fix something borrowed. from totally your parents. Like, yes. like I always used to balk at the idea of the saying, like we're all victims of victims. I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh, victim. I'm a grown man. Like, mm -hmm. what, like, so, so what if I didn't have the best example looking up to like, I make my own decisions. I'm type a, like, what am I going to let that follow me to your talking about like subconscious, like reinvention. It's like, yeah. it really is amazing man or woman. Like the things that we're carrying with us, beliefs that were started like 35 years ago, yeah, yeah. they were carrying with us. And like, that is our definition of of closeness that was that was uh, given to us or not given to us, and we're go, we're swinging the pendulum to the far other side to create a version of that that we can never lose. Yeah. So I mean, it really it really is crazy, like what we can unearth. And I mean, totally, that's why I obviously recommend people go to therapy. Listen to someone like me is not going to get you there, but I think. Yeah, I think, you know, we're all victims of victims in, in some sense. And not victims in the in the trauma you, sense, but just like conditioned mentality sense. It, it really is crazy. I think that point is because victim is such a loaded word and there's a yeah. reasonable response that people have, which is no, I will not allow that labeling. But I think there's two pieces, one of which is healthy and one of which is not. Um, the first piece is that I am like uh, irredeemably hurt by this person. Yeah victimized and yep. that that is the sense that i think understandably people do not want labeled on them what was tough for me to accept is that there was elements of who i am that are there's a causal daisy chain down to like oh that's where that comes from and being willing to see that i have not from a little boy been the locus of creation in my life you know what i mean <laughs> that there were like things that happened to me that yeah. i did not have control over yeah. which for me you know, not having control is just an absolute no-go territory. Yeah. We don't yeah. like that at all. Yeah. But to go, this happened. And at that stage, there was very limited uh, consciousness, ability to influence, control, et cetera. And if you want to use the word victim, I'm f that's okay. But it's, it's more just like things happened that I could not control. Yeah. And in that sense, I think there is a that can be a healthy recognition of victimhood that doesn't need to also entail this and I am stuck in this forever and can never get out and the only way through is to blame this other individual but to see that yeah there was things happened yeah yeah one of the the one of the words that I've always not liked because it always seems so hokey and sensitive was the idea of healing mm. like uh, there's like, you know, you hop on social media there's a lot of people talking about oh, I'm on my healing journey mm -hmm. and I always thought that was like a funny thing like I, I don't come from the self-development world. I used yeah, to think yeah. self-development was silly. Like who are these people telling me to heal and align chakras and this and that? I thought <laughs> it was silly, frankly. And whenever I would hear the word healing, I'm like, what healing? Like, he, like what does that mean? Like mm. how, how long are you healing? Like what is a healing journey? Like I used to not be that empathetic, but like you, you went through a breakup. Like what are you healing yeah, from? Yeah, Just yeah. move on. Like not, not very nice in that sense. And I've, I really realized the value of that word for one. And a lot of men too, like just anecdotally, like I, sell a lot of journals for a living. And I'm always thinking about ways to like highlight the value and like what a journal gets you beyond clarity and just, you know, uh, intention. And I've started really grasping onto the word healing in, in the marketing. And it's crazy how that like speaks to people, how it much, does. how much people like, I'm surprised. I, I, I was surprised too. And I wonder if it's like, is it a, is it a buzzword or are people like leaning into the fact that healing is challenging 
everything you just described mm -hmm. that conditioning where that where that spark came from reinventing themselves in front of it yeah i don't know i can't decide if it's like a buzzword or not or if it's or the the more hopeful which is that people are you know seeing healing as just reinventing yeah. or challenging these things but either way it's it's a powerful word that i think we could all lean into yeah for me, I mean, I totally same thing. Uh, there's words that I used today that uh, earlier version of me yeah. would have taken me outside and beaten the hell That's out of funny. me up for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, Get over here, you yeah, little yeah, punk. Go get your crystals and my crystals. Your dude, we got crystals around here, dude. I used to <laughs> fucking, yeah, I put I used to put them off camera because I was embarrassed by them. Uh, no. Bring them out. <laughs> I don't know where they are. Um, but the healing thing, I think, again, same thing. Resisted it. I think what is really nice about the word healing compared to what might have come before it is that a lot of the words treat humans like machines you can fix it you can solve it yeah. you can like get in there put in this piece healing acknowledges your organic human nature but also your self capacity to mend yeah. um that there isn't like how does one heal a cut you don't think about it you don't need to do <laughs> it like there yeah. is an intelligence and a um a caretaking inside of you that is capable of doing it given the right situation yeah. and that implies a very different way of managing a problem, healing versus fixing. One is deeply conscious from an engineer and one is like, yeah. you know, that, that you've got it in you. Um, and they, yeah. they imply different, different approaches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I think it's in line with what we're talking about. It's balance. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of solutions that we find in our minds are medic. We're medicating ourselves in a mm -hmm. sense. We're saying, okay, I had a messed up childhood and now I'm fired up because I never want that to happen again. That's like, um, it's a standard and it's good and it's powerful, but it's kind of like medicating. It's saying like that happened, fuck that bull bull in a China shop going this way, opposite direction. I think the balance would then be of course, coming back to that thing and accepting, forgiving, mm -hmm. breaking it down. And that, that is the healing process, which again, is just such a hokey thing, but like we need that balance between the healing and the medicating between the, the aggressive new standard and the, and the peaceful inner peace acceptance of that thing. Yeah. That's the sweet spot. I mean, I think it could take a long time for, you know, especially for people who have been through a lot of different things, but, um, that's the sweet spot. It's that balance. Yeah. Um, but anything else we should tap on before we, before no, we man, hop no, off? I, I really enjoyed chatting with you. This yeah. is really cool. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you for coming out. Yeah, thank you for having me. And, uh, we'll see the rest of you guys later. Peace.